you remember that commercial where the kids like doing t-rex noises and it's like oh um everyone's good at something you might have to give me some more like demonstrations or something because i don't know what you're talking about this guy's trying to coax me into doing a t-rex noise in the first episode (laughs) not gonna happen maybe if we make it to episode 50 I'll, i'll just do it randomly even if it's like if we're watching alien or something it'll just come out of nowhere yeah or just like her or something without like <laughs> barely any cloning nothing about reptiles just yeah totally just different sci-fi film dude t-rex noise is hard to do but like out of all the dinosaurs i feel like it's you probably easier you don't technically know that it could be super easy to do a t-rex noise uh, i trust i've done a, I, i've attempted a t-rex noise off the air before don't get me wrong <laughs> i meant like you don't know what a t-rex sounds like they could oh, sound like oh, a chicken well... <laughs> the t-rex noise in terms of like how it's portrayed in in popular media and specifically jurassic park and and uh specifically that commercial that i was talking about (laughs) yeah well didn't they use like elephant sounds and a bunch of other sounds (laughs) you know sounds that's how you make stuff isn't that how they did like the pod racers in Star Wars? <laughs> Wasn't that? Or, or like the Wookiees, I know were like a bunch of different animals. But the pod racers were also like, they hit like a metal wire with a wrench or something like that and like had all this random stuff. But I digress. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We should probably get into it. Start talking yeah, about let's, Jurassic Park. Let, let's start talking about Jurassic Park. Welcome to uh, Simon is Fight. Wait, yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> well welcome everyone to the very first episode of uh, sci minus phi this is your movie club for science nerds and science club for movie nerds i am your host nathan and i'm your host chris uh, every week we're going to be kind of tearing apart a new science fiction film or old science fiction film. Tearing uh, apart with claws. <laughs> exactly. Which already gets us into this week. We are talking about Jurassic Park. Um, and I'll just give a quick synopsis in case you haven't seen it. Um, on a remote island, a wealthy entrepreneur secretly creates a theme park featuring living dinosaurs drawn from prehistoric DNA. Before opening the attraction to the public, he invites a top paleontologist paleobotanist, a mathematician that slash theorist, and his two eager grandchildren to experience the park and help calm anxious investors. However, this visit is anything but tranquil as the park security system breaks down, the prehistoric creatures break out, and the excitement builds to surprising results. I feel like if you haven't seen Jurassic Park, you're probably living on a remote island. Oh, most definitely. Like, <laughs> it's 27 years old. Um, oh, God. Yeah, it's a it's a dope movie though. It still holds up. We we just watched it before this podcast, and I gotta say, it's like one of the best movies I've seen this year. Oh yeah, like without movies and theaters, it was just a nice uh, experience to sit in my living room with my roommates, watch this collectively, and just enjoy like a solid film. There were so many times I would just see a shot and I'm like, this is perfect. Like it doesn't need anything more. It doesn't need anything less. It's like perfectly cast as well. Honestly, all, Wayne Knight as like the, the greedy computer hacker dude is the best. And just like his demise, which I should probably say this podcast will include spoilers. So uh, sorry if you haven't seen it, you should just pause this, go watch it and then come back. Definitely. Yeah, no, the casting is great. Like, like Wayne Knight, my roommate just keeps calling him Newman. And <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> obviously he I had to really think hard. Dude, he he is so Newman. Like I was half expecting him to walk in and just say like Jerry <laughs> or something like that. Uh, I love also Samuel L. Jackson when he appeared. I'm like, what? He's in this? I totally forgot. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. Also, like he's got his iconic line, which I didn't realize this until I just rewatched it. But he says it twice. <laughs> he says, "Hold on to your butt," which like I thought was a one time thing, but apparently that's like a line that his character just says like a bunch in like the span of what, like 24 hours in the movie. He said it twice. So, you know, that his coworkers are like, this guy always tells us to hold on to our butts. 
Oh man, when I heard that, I was like, did he actually just say that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it is so outside the realm of like anything a normal person would say. But uh, do you think uh, that was so like good. a popular saying in the 90s? I mean, it should be. You <laughs> <laughs> should bring it back. Yeah. I'd Maybe you know what that 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 should be the the tagline of this podcast. It should be <laughs> "Sign minus Phi, hold on to your butts." I like it. Um, I thought you were going to say it should be in like the saying of the year. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, well that too. Twenty twenty, hold on to your butts and keep on holding because uh, we ain't done yet. Yeah, but no, I like it for the podcast. Um, but you know, aside from. Aside from like just being a dope movie, there's a lot of concepts in Jurassic Park that I think are uh, are worth talking about. Uh, I think you would agree with that, and uh, I'm hoping that we get a chance to talk about them today. Oh, there are so many different things. Like I was writing stuff down as I was watching um, different lines people say, and all the concepts. Like, well, it just seems like the quintessential science fiction film to kind of start this podcast off. So many different concepts, and then also the kind of theoretical or hypothetical like ethics and responsibility of science really yeah. kind of that we should be taking into account of that a lot of science fiction explorers it's all in here and I thought that was like a good way to start this podcast so well it's funny because like I, I think you're right when you say it's like the quintessential science fiction movie, but it's interesting because I never really considered it like a sci-fi movie. Because when you think sci-fi, you think of like lasers and spaceships and aliens and this and that. But Jurassic Park is none of these, but it still holds up in terms of like the technology is is science fiction. You know, it's uh, it's it it, it it checks all the boxes, but it's not what you traditionally think of as a sci-fi movie. And I think that makes it quite unique. <laughs> oh, definitely. Like... Uh, I guess let's just get started in talking about some of the science in this film. Um, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> I think the first thing we can talk about is just the basic technology that they use at the park, which is cloning, right? They're cloning dinosaurs, yep. bringing back these extinct creatures. Um, and I got to say, there were promises made to us in the 90s regarding <laughs> cloning that have not been kept. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And in particular, like, from when I was watching a kid, or when I was watching Jurassic Park as a kid, um, the method of cloning that they use in the movie is like, you know, they get the blood from the mosquitoes that are trapped in amber, and then they they fill in the gas of the DNA with like amphibian DNA. And as far as I know, you know, we can't actually get blood from mosquitoes that are trapped in amber or get like viable DNA from that. And so that was a big letdown. But I think there are a bunch of uh, other kind of advancements within the cloning realm that have been made uh, since this movie has come out. Uh, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Um, in terms of just the mechanics of how we would clone dinosaurs, um, DNA degrades over time. And so we have like never found viable DNA that we would ever be able to use. And even for something like woolly mammoths, yep. which uh, went extinct like 10,000 years ago, we found like almost completely frozen uh, mammoths in the arctic and even that like we cannot clone uh Wasn't so there like a, a thing about bringing them back and and like doing the thing like jurassic park but instead of amphibian dna they were going to use like elephant dna so kind of what they did um uh, when i looked into it is they used woolly mammoth dna that they had it was obviously like very broken and they i think used crispr or some other technology to cut out certain sequences and then it added it to elephant DNA. So it's almost the inverse. Instead of using like mm. uh, something to fill the gaps of the dino DNA, right. it was kind of using certain genes of mammoths, applying it, adding it to elephant DNA, and then allowing, I guess, that elephant to birth uh, this sort of like woolly mammoth hybrid. Um, although I think it's definitely a lot more elephant than woolly mammoth. Yeah. That's super interesting. Uh, could, could you also give a, a very brief overview of what CRISPR is? Uh, CRISPR is a technology used in uh, that's able to essentially cut specific sequences of DNA um, out, and then you can like I guess add new parts in. Um, that's cool. my knowledge. So it's of it. like a, it's like a it's like a cut and paste for DNA, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's been applied a lot. I think I think it came out kind of 2012 and or kind of 2010s, and uh, since then it's been used a lot 
in uh, different different methodologies and like different industries. So, yeah, that's awesome. It's uh, it, it really, I I mean, I I don't want to jump ahead here, and so I I want to stay on the 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 cloning topic a little bit, but like um. I see in the notes also we're talking about Dolly and mm-hmm. uh, everyone knows the name Dolly, like the sheep that was, that was cloned, uh, died at age six. Um, I guess like, was that a success? Like what, what did that teach us? Uh, well, yeah, like Dolly the sheep, when I was thinking about cloning and how the promises were made and not kept, like that was kind of like the first and last thing I'd ever heard about cloning. It's like, oh, they cloned a sheep and then just silence. No one did anything yeah. after that, as far as I had kind of known. But doing a bit more research, um, so Dolly was cloned, uh, died at six years old due to some like lung complications. And uh, when you clone an animal uh, in our DNA, there are these things called telomeres, which people think kind of affect aging. And like they are sort of garbage DNA that gets chopped off as your cells divide. And so if you clone an animal, those telomeres are already short. And um, mm. so they thought that maybe Dolly's death was related to like these shorter telomeres, uh, therefore couldn't age as long. Um, and so it kind of lived like half of its life compared to a uh, kind of a normal 12 year lifespan. Yep. However, when they kind of checked it over, they didn't see any real aging complications in Dolly. And so they don't think that the telomeres had anything to do with it. And it was just like a lung thing infection that I think other sheep in her herd also got. And yeah, Dolly wasn't the only clone. They've made others exactly like her. I can say that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And they've actually lived to be nine years old. So yeah, aging, I don't know if that's like statistically significant, but. Is nine years like the average lifespan of a, of his sheep? I think 11 to 12 is at least like in the herds and stuff. So um, it's not bad then. Yep. And then. It's very uh, interesting. Yeah. So. I, there are I, I other think... sorry go on oh go ahead <laughs> uh, there are other animals that like have been cloned uh mostly mammals and stuff um and in relation to dinosaurs in jurassic park like you have this unique island this unique amusement park uh dolly as a animal could not be patented um they kind of figured that you can't patent this creature you can patent the technology used to do the cloning. Yeah. But yeah, the creature itself is kind of under the laws of nature that you can't patent. And so when I think about Jurassic Park and probably what they were doing, Wayne Knight's character, uh, Nedry, right? Stealing the embryos, like he could do. And like, if they just had a dinosaur, like, uh, like another company had a dinosaur, there yeah. wouldn't be any He's... sort of like patent infringement there. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Oh, interesting. I mean, like, I'm sure he would still be like arrested for theft <laughs> and oh. of like the this this secret material and everything, and like, you know, all, all the illegal stuff that he did. But uh, that's very interesting. That just human endangerment actually... comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that too. You know, although he unfortunately will never see the light of a courtroom, <laughs> since I think he was first of all blinded by those little tiny uh, dinosaurs that have the. Yeah. What is it? What are, do we do we know what those are called? The ones that flare out their their neck thing. I no, I have clue. no idea. But uh, man, that's uh, that's really interesting. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. Wow, it, it's it's interesting as well. Um, because I think uh, cloning in sci-fi, it's like a very broad topic, and Jurassic Park probably hits on like the most realistic end of the spectrum for cloning. Because on the other end you have sci-fi where cloning is like, you literally take a uh, person A who is a, is an adult. And when you clone them, you get like person A.1 who is also an adult and there's no difference between them. But in this uh, sort of cloning, it's like, yeah, this is something that is based in some some level of real science. And you know, you would, you would get the eggs. It's like a chicken and egg problem. It's like, well, with this type of cloning, you do start with the egg after, after, inserting that CRISPR DNA technology. Definitely. Um, it's funny you mentioned eggs too, because um, that's actually one thing that would make cloning very difficult. And to date, we have never actually cloned um, a bird or a reptile, as far as I know. And mm. um, yeah, it's uh, 
it's easy to clone mammals because of like um, how we develop. I said mammals, right? Not animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's easy to clone mammals because of how we develop. Like in utero, you can just uh, grow like a small embryo and plant it into the uterus and then they develop normally. But with mm. birds, which we know now are like descendants of dinosaurs and even in Jurassic Park, they kind of say that you have to get an egg somehow. And that's very difficult because you either have to implant the DNA somehow within the bird as they're developing the egg before it's before they lay it. And we don't know like the implications of that and how, what will happen during development and everything. Yeah. Or after the egg is laid, if you try to remove the, the nucleus, you're going to kill the cell and like implanting any more DNA won't do anything. So you have to kind of create a chimera where you insert the DNA into the egg with it all, like already the DNA it has. And uh, that's doable, but yeah, you create a chimera and like the implanted DNA won't be able to add to the germline. So you get this like weird, they won't be able to reproduce in the same way um, and create Wait, like the clone. That's that's crazy. So, so basically what I'm hearing is uh, mammals on the menu for cloning in the future but reptiles probably not reptiles and birds like the avian variety yeah yeah so like if you wanted we've cloned like primates too i think uh it's macaques um we're cloned a couple of them in china so like you were more likely to be cloned than cloning a chicken or something mm. like the fattest chicken alive kind of thing i <laughs> uh, can can i go back to you mentioned i think germline could you, could you explain what that is? Uh, so germline, I guess, is just the DNA that we pass down to the children or the offspring okay. of the animal. So yeah, if you create this chimera, um, the DNA that will contribute to the germline is going to be mm. of like the actual bird that you were cloning and not right. the, uh, or yeah, it'll be of the bird that laid the egg and not the actual species or kind of individual you were cloning. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. But man. Yeah. So Dude, yeah, dinosaurs, funny. that's kind of still sci-fi realm of how they were somehow growing eggs. <laughs> they didn't really explain that. This is like a, a really stupid question, but back in like the, the dinosaur eras, um, were were they all dinosaurs? Like I know that we uh, what, what is it like shrews? <laughs> like we, we descended from these type of mammals. I don't know how the timelines line up. But uh, are there any, I, I guess I should say, prehistoric mammals that we could potentially clone if we did somehow access their their DNA that was still intact? I would assume there must be. Yeah, I, I don't know too much of the timeline uh, when mammals first developed. But yeah, I think there were definitely some sort of shrews in yeah, however many million years ago. But uh, yeah, I don't know which dinosaurs we lined up with or the, those ancestors of ours mm. kind of lined up with, but... Very yeah, cool. it must be possible. So, and then um, there, there, it's almost impossible to talk about cloning without talking about the the ethics behind cloning as well. Um, I know there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of debate on this topic, really. And uh, when it comes to something like Dolly, did you know how uh, the scientific community uh, if they accepted it or if there was a backlash to, to doing that? Um, I'm not too sure. I mean, they've, they cloned her multiple times. So I guess if there was, yeah. <laughs> they were still able to <laughs> get the funding or whatever they needed to do it again. But yeah, no, like cloning in general, um, Malcolm in the movie, right? Yeah. Dr. Malcolm is saying like, uh, even addresses the ethics there, right? Yeah. He, bringing back an extinct species. He's got this great quote in that movie that I wrote down. It's, uh, uh, I'm not going to do a uh, Jeff Goldblum impression, <laughs> but uh, it's genetic power is the most awesome force ever seen on this planet, but you wield it like a kid who's found his dad's gun. That's like, that's so dope. Cause I feel like it's, it's, it's pretty true, especially in this movie, but like in general as well, it's genetic power is really, it's, it's what makes us us. And if you can control that, like if CRISPR would allow us to make superhumans, and, uh, and, and swap out any, any negative parts or, or parts of, of the human that we think are negative. That's like, 
that's insane. And that, uh, that opens up a, a whole can of worms, but also like fantastic possibilities um, for the human race. Yeah. Like um, I guess when we talk about CRISPR, there's tons of issues. Um, if we're talking about like editing human DNA, but yeah. yeah, in regards to cloning, like, yeah, you can get into problems of like who's responsible for clones uh, who are kind of like the parents, right? We know who the genetic parents would be, but um, you can't necessarily raise these kids in a lab and study them. So then like who's taking care of them. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's when you talk about cloning people, but then cloning extinct animals. I think Malcolm also talks about that, right? He's like, dinosaurs had their chance. We're not talking about humans, like wiping out species and us kind of doing stuff through habitat loss. We're talking about creatures that had their chance on the earth and then died yeah. due to like natural um, or non-human causes. Yeah. I think one of the, the big themes of the movie was really that you can't outsmart evolution or, or mother nature is always in charge essentially. And um, it, it's interesting. Cause like when you think about it, you know, we are, we are part of nature. Like we, we don't exist in a vacuum away from nature. Human beings are. And so uh, it's an interesting take uh, i don't know if i necessarily agree with it but um it uh, it does raise some interesting questions about uh is there is there an ethical line between cloning a human and cloning a, a non-human cloning something that currently exists and something that's extinct um is it is it morally is it moral to bring something back from from extinction or, or immoral yeah i mean it gets into the, almost the pandora's box right when you start bringing back things that um, have gone extinct and depend on how long ago they went extinct. Uh, again, in our science, we have tried to bring back an, or tried to clone a now extinct species. In 2000, I think it was a, a type of Ibex um, went extinct. And then in 2009, we used some DNA from the Ibex and um, tried cloning it. It didn't survive, uh, I think kind of died after a few months. Uh, due to weird lung complications again. Uh, strange that it was like also lung complications like Dolly, but yeah, uh, yeah it's like they tried to sort of um, clone it to bring it back. And then uh, similar to kind of animals that are going extinct, right? Like rhinos or uh, I don't know if there's like other recent ones, but I like the white rhino, black rhino. If they're in such low numbers, should we be cloning them to create more of the species and allow them to propagate? Interesting. I mean, nature is a delicate balance as well. You know, even, even with living creatures, like you have invasive species that, uh, that humans uh, like culling their population. Um, and uh, even like different ecosystems have different, you know, balances uh, that exist. And so I think it, it'd be a tough, call to make. I'm glad I'm not the person who's, who's deciding whether or not to bring a species back, but uh, from a moral standpoint, yeah, like, uh, it's interesting. Uh, well, like, yeah, would you want to, if you had the chance Man. to see a certain animal again? The, the, the cynical side of me feels that uh, the general answer from, like, the human population would be, like, if it's cute, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if it looks awesome, yes. But if it's, like, some ugly slimy like fish nah <laughs> just let it <laughs> let it let it remain extinct right so it's only what's valuable to us as like a species and like yeah <laughs> i mean that's even, been the running theme of humanity <laughs> i love that's not even like what um necessarily like economically or like ecosystem <laughs> like what's valuable for the ecosystem it's like what's valuable to like my happiness and like my enjoyment <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that that's why i say it's the cynical side of me because like we, we all know that that cuteness sells <laughs> and that like the cute puppy is more likely to be adopted than the ugly one. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Like I might be like on the side of caution with like some of these animals given like the invasive species type of argument. Yeah. Um, because yeah, we know that if you bring in species from like an outside environment into a new ecosystem, that ecosystem didn't evolve to kind of coexist with that with that new species and yeah. that's kind of what we see with invasive species where they can cause like tons of damage to kind of plant life to the wildlife they might outcompete certain species or actually prey on 
uh, the kind of native species to that ecosystem. And yeah, the ecosystem doesn't have enough time to properly adapt before that species kind of takes over. And yeah. we don't, it almost gets into like chaos theory where, where we don't know what that will do for us, right? Like we don't know if that environment and how it turns out is going to be valuable to us or yeah, will it harm our, our living, right? I'm glad you, you mentioned chaos theory because that's uh, they, they bring this up in Jurassic Park as well, which is um, essentially the, the theory where uh, varying an initial condition very slightly can have great uh, changes to like an outcome uh, later, later along. So like, I don't know if you've ever seen the butterfly effect or, or heard of that, like a butterfly flaps its wings and it causes a hurricane somewhere else in the world. Um, that's the, the general idea. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's a, it's a great point. Cause like this kind of stuff is really hard to model. It's like, um, I don't know if, if some guy was like, or some woman was like, I'm going to clone a locust from like this period and just let it out into the wild. You'd be like, Whoa, Whoa, hold on. Like we know from experience that locusts can, can overrun uh, an ecosystem and, and, and just be bad for it for all that but um on the other hand it's like why are we just judging locusts we don't know what any of these cloned creatures will do if they're let out into the wild and uh how do you even model that like maybe there are models like i'm, I'm definitely not an expert but um there's a ton of variables right it's like what other animals exist what the climate is like what the weather's like how how they live what they eat where they live how big their their social groups are um it's wild and uh, it's, it's hard to, to predict, I would assume. Definitely. And again, Malcolm, like the voice of reason in Jurassic Park is kind of yelling at everyone, telling them that, or at least yelling at um, David Attenborough's character, just yeah. like, <laughs> like, yeah, you don't know what you're doing. Um, you're going to let the cat out of the bag. And like, you think that you can control this stuff, but there's just so many variables in this system and things that you cannot control that are coming from outside, like these externalities that they haven't accounted for that can kind of ruin everything, right? You have yeah. uh, people leaving the car when they're not supposed to. And like, you can't <laughs> predict that, right? And then you can't predict that one of your coworkers is gonna be working for an like opposing company to steal yeah. embryos and he's gonna like shut down all the power, like, that's all just like random stuff that happened. Yeah. It, I mean, like definitely there's some level of security or like security measures that you should take. Like you probably should have some sort of redundancy in your, in your system and in your, like, so that one guy can't, can't take it out. But yeah, you, you can't protect it from everything. Like in the movie, I think it's illustrated pretty well that they didn't know what they're doing at all with the dinosaurs because they didn't even know that that one ran in herds. Like Dr. Grant, his famous line, like, oh, so they do move in herds. It's like, man, that's like a, that seems like a pretty main aspect of that, that creature's social or, uh, you know, just like how they live. And they had no idea about it before. And so like, what else would they not know about these dinosaurs before bringing them back and letting them free on this island? Yeah. Like, oh man, chaos theory. <laughs> Such a crazy <laughs> thing. Uh, did you yeah, know? You have a note here. Oh, go on. Yeah, just about kind of chaos theory and how it was some of the first things that we found that maybe supported it in some way. Um, Not tell me. So like there was this guy, Edward Lawrence, and he kind of discovered this aspect of randomness where you vary the initial conditions slightly and come up with like completely different outcomes Yep. Uh, when he was studying weather. So he had a computer and was like running simulations on the weather and he ran it. He's like, okay, this is what the weather's going to be. And then he reruns the program and gets a completely different result. And it's just like, wait, this is a simulation. It's on a computer. Everything should be the same, right? But what he found out when he was like investigating it was there was a rounding error that even though it's like one part in 1 million led that kind of had that additive effect as the butterfly flapping its wings where it just compounds with all the other kind of uh, interactions that occur and creates, yeah, the hurricane in, in Tokyo. 
So did like every weather person just breathe a sigh of relief when Edward Lawrence came out and said this and they're like, see, like we're wrong for a reason. Uh, I mean, if they didn't, they should have because uh, like that was their way out. That was their very first like, <laughs> I'm surprised they still get like work after that, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's like, we know that we can't predict the weather, but we're going to tell you anyways. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, just people. It, just, it, that's yeah. crazy. Like, it makes me wonder, and maybe this is going off on a tangent a little bit, but like, how do they improve their modeling with weather? Is it just like getting more data points or do they just have more refined mathematical models that can predict it to with with, with higher uh, with a higher degree of variance in like the initial conditions? Uh, I think it comes down to also scope. So like if you're looking at more localized weather patterns um, and length of time, like I don't know mm. what Lawrence experiment or simulation did if it was running for a year or something, but obviously if you're looking at a day, 24 hours, not as much happens as um, 525,600 minutes. Something <laughs> thank like you. That. Thank you, rent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 60 minutes versus a whole year worth of minutes is um definitely a lot of change in a in a simulation so yeah damn and uh yeah no i, I think jurassic park definitely uh exemplifies that quite well mm -hmm. dude malcolm i want to be like malcolm when i grow up oh who doesn't he was well aside from like all the divorces and stuff that, <laughs> that he talks about and like looking for the future like ex mrs malcolm or something <laughs> yeah but if you had like that um outlook on it too where you're just like eh, whatever like he seems happy <laughs> he does he does seem pretty happy so yeah whatever he's doing like <laughs> he's, he's doing something right mm -hmm. but um let's see let's see we, we 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 so we talked about cloning we talked about chaos theory um do we do we talk much about evolution or natural selection um a little bit like we talked about it in terms of yeah, resurrecting like extinct animals, right? Because of invasive species yeah. and survival of the fittest, who's most fit for the current environment. Yeah, you're right. We we do. Okay, okay. Um, but what I was surprised with in uh, Jurassic Park was kind of all of how ahead of its time in some way it was. Like you see, they have VR uh, displays. Yeah. Um, I like how they have, and this was like <clears throat> of the time, but. Like they have like a kind of ride that moves around and you have the bars and like, I think they had those at amusement parks already, but. Yeah, they, they have like the fully automated and these like, these, these cars that they're in, they're not even like on the track, like they're, they're above the track, but they, they're not like tethered to it, you know, and they're automatically driven. They have like infotainment screens in them that like teach you about the park and everything. Um, and like you said, the VR displays that the geneticists use to like oh. look at the gaps in DNA, it's crazy. It's like they had all this technology in this 27-year-old movie. And now just today is like, we're just kind of seeing these technologies just truly take off uh, in a big way. Um, obviously with, with VR, like uh, even like Oculus Quest 2 just came out. That's like a $300 headset that's pretty accessible to, to a lot of people. And uh, it's like super high fidelity and like tracking and everything. And then obviously like when you look at Tesla or all these other smart vehicle brands. Well, that's um, what I was gonna say when you talk about their cars. I think they even say, oh, they're all electric. Like no harm oh, yeah. to the environment. It's like, oh, they just, they literally <laughs> made a Tesla uh, with like a Land Rover or Jeep or whatever it was. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> oh man. And, and yet they couldn't install locks on the doors. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> truly fascinating. Yeah. Although, One line that, uh, oh, no, go ahead. Uh, in terms of locks on the doors, I think I saw a headline about someone was able to like hack a Tesla with like a Raspberry Pi where you could yes. get in without. So, I mean, you could get out if you wanted to. I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did see that. Apparently the, the bug is fixed already, which which is nice, but it, um, it is interesting. Like as as we get more more digital, um, I think there's a lot of attack vectors in terms of of just being able to exploit any any bugs in in these systems that we're creating. Um, and that's also like kind of goes back to to chaos theory 
and and just like how complex a system can be even when it starts um with with something small mm -hmm. so you might set something into motion and before you know it you have all these exploits or or vulnerabilities that you never really knew about i know that's yeah. like very abstract but I, I feel like it applies yeah it's funny that like the automation team at Jurassic Park felt like at least the way they showed it felt like it was just um, Nedry, right? Like he was kind of right. like their IT guy. He seemed to have like programmed everything. Um, but yeah, nowadays, yeah, you... like <laughs> the team would be huge. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine Tesla? It's like you're getting a tour of like the Gigafactory and Elon Musk is like in here, we have our automation team and it's just Newman just like in a <laughs> chair. <laughs> He's just like drinking colas and like eating burgers and stuff. It's like that'd hello, be crazy tour <laughs> hello um there, there's one line that that hammond who's like the old guy um who's honestly i never knew this until i rewatched it just recently but he's like supposed to be scottish and i always just didn't pick up on that i don't know if it's like his accent just didn't come through when i was a kid or something but um yeah his totally accent seemed a bit know. all over the place maybe a little like bit, i didn't really yeah, pick I, up it on it either i i feel like the direction was maybe just like you just got to play this old eccentric billionaire <laughs> and he's like all right let's go i'm sure it's in the book but the line that he says to ellie when they're like when he's all sad because his grandchildren might be in in grave danger and he's eating ice cream at the table in like the dining hall um he says we're over dependent on automation he says that to ellie i thought that was like a super interesting point of view since this was in 1993 and like, I don't know what the sentiment was about automation, but this is a topic that still is super relevant today. And reliance on automation is, is higher than it's ever been before. Like when you think of, of, uh, of machine learning and, and AI and, and just autom automated like mechanical systems in general, we're super mm -hmm. reliant on them. And yeah, like, like uh, even, even like how many, if you ask someone on the, on the street, um, if they knew how to drive manual or stick shift, like what percentage of people would say yes i feel like that today would be super low especially for for new drivers definitely uh, like and that's such like a basic version i guess like having an automatic car um, yeah yeah definitely no like so few people know how to drive stick these days but when you're talking about automation again like factories and how much of the economy relies on automation the push to automate different jobs whether it's like um, factory manufacturing jobs or even like some tech jobs being automated like yeah um, yeah I think we're definitely seeing a push to automate more and more and so yeah it's funny that he says in 1993 oh yeah we're over dependent on this and it's like oh we haven't even started sir <laughs> <laughs> no exactly and it, and it makes you wonder like what the sentiment will be in another 27 years like in my mind I feel like the more we automate things uh, the, the more a human has to know in order to be like an expert in that field, because you have to know like the, the fundamentals and like the basics built on top of that. And then like you get more specialized until like you understand how it's automated. And as more things get automated, I wonder like, are people overly dependent on automation to the point where people won't know how to do basic things or like have basic survival skills, for example, if they need it? Maybe they, maybe they never will need it because everything will be automated all the time. But um, uh, it, it makes makes me wonder. Yeah, that's super interesting. Like, because, yeah, you need to know more. But at the same time, you don't necessarily need to know it as in depth, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, It's like if you're a computer programmer, you don't know, you don't need to know in particular, like how the the underlying like touring system works or a Turing machine works yeah. to know how to write like a for loop you know or like you don't need to know assembly code you don't need exactly, to know yeah. basic like um you have like these higher level languages where even some like the syntax and stuff is supposed to be almost like common language um and on the one hand like that makes it super easy but it's like if any of that automation lower level stuff breaks it becomes a lot yeah. harder to fix right it's like if there was some catastrophic event in the future where like an EMP blast fried all of our electronics and no one knew how to repair them. It's uh, like, what would we do? Or if for some reason, like all of our human knowledge was wiped, how would we rebuild? Would we have the capability to, to get back to where we were 
um, without kind of going through it all again. Oh, definitely. This actually makes me think of kind of that quote again from the movie of uh, like scientific discovery and what Malcolm talks about in terms of like their cloning and what they've been doing. Right. He says like, it didn't take any discipline to attain it. You read what others had done and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourself. So you don't take any responsibility. Like, yeah. Yeah. When it's kind of like when you've automated all these lower level things, it's just like, that's taken for granted. It's there. So I can build on top of it, but you aren't really doing that much work or much more work to, to get there. Yeah. That, that was actually an interesting quote that jumped out at me as well. Cause I, I felt like, um, from a different perspective, kind of like you have to build on, on the shoulders of giants, you know, you have to stand on the shoulders of giants to, to make progress. Like I, I would say very rarely do we see someone build a discipline completely new or like completely on their own that's separated from what someone else has done in that field or whatever. Um, so that was interesting. Cause I feel like no one, no one really like gets that or earns that discipline uh, today that, that Malcolm might've been alluding to. Yeah. Do you have any insight on like, what do you think he kind of meant by the discipline to attain it? Like what work did he think you needed to do to, yeah. I I kind of feel that he was, he was alluding to um, Hammond trying to like mimic mother nature. So mother nature in Malcolm's eyes, from, from my perspective was basically saying like mother nature's put in the work, like she's done She's done the trial and error of, of natural selection. The earth has, has decided what animals uh, can live and what uh, are extinct. And I think what he was saying with that line was basically like, listen, old man, you're not, you're not mother nature and you haven't, you haven't gone through the trial and error. So you're just, uh, you're just messing around with stuff that you don't know about. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Um, Cause yeah, I think there's like just a lot of that sentiment in the character. And yeah. yeah, it's like when we talk about science and technological advancement and discovery, um, we do, I think, need to be careful to make sure we're being responsible with the technology we have, right? Something like yeah. CRISPR, sure, we've developed it now. We can like mess around with DNA. But now if someone has heard about CRISPR and like they weren't in the field necessarily, they just thought it was cool and decided to do something with it. Like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's like one of the biggest challenges that the human race has like always faced and will continue to face is that we, we invent or we create technology that's cool before we, we think of like its full implications or like, you know, maybe we can't even predict what the implications of any new technology will be, which like is probably true when social media first arrived on the scene no one thought that it would be creating these siloed um like uh bubbles and uh and echo chambers that that kind of helped contribute to the the divided society that we have today um but that you know it's just a a natural um progression of that technology so it's like how do we actually for anything think that far ahead i know like in ai technology today there's a lot of effort being put into developing a code of ethics around it and a bunch of principles that would help guide it but even with those like do we know how it's going to be used in the future i can't say totally like it seems like you need forward thinking and forward-looking individuals who seem to be responsible to kind of say like here are some of the implications that we can predict might Mm -hmm. kind of come out of this and as you said with like ai there are a lot of people who are saying like hey ai like it's kind of dangerous um i don't know it maybe it's like we've seen enough sci-fi films to know (laughs) that like it'll run rampant get out of control um and yeah so people like elon musk bill gates who are kind of like hey ai we should kind of like hold back on it um on the one hand, it's good that they're kind of saying this stuff, but yeah, then you have the implications of also who is saying it, who is responsible. Um, yeah. Should these billionaires, right, be the ones who are saying like, should they be the gatekeepers and stuff? Should they be controlling this? It, it's interesting that you mentioned billionaires as well, because that's that's another, there's some crossover with Jurassic Park there, which is a to our real world, which is like eccentric billionaires 
doing crazy stuff. <laughs> and so like as Hammond funded this whole Jurassic Park uh, endeavor and like created all these cloned animals, you do see like like Elon Musk doing stuff like Neuralink and like human computer interactions and like um, funding, you know, just cool things. Um, and so it makes me, this is maybe a little bit of a tangent again, but um, it makes me wonder like if these eccentric billionaires are, are a natural kind of product of our society. And like, if, if we need them to, to help like push forward some of these kind of ideas or not. And this goes to your question, like, should we, should they be the gatekeeper? Like they're, they're not, they're not going to be the, the person who knows the most about AI or ethics or, or the technology itself. But like, I guess like when you get to a certain, certain level of fame, you have some influence and you can, uh, and, and fame and, and, and fortune and you can help. And so I think, uh, it is the responsible thing to do for them to, to put their, their power to good use. But, um, even like what good use is, I think is super subjective. Yeah. Like, cause the good use we see right now, it's like, and with Hammond, Hammond has this idea for this park that he thinks people will enjoy. Like it's something that people can go to pay money for. And so it's like, who's backing it. It's like these investors who see a financial gain from it. And yep. same with Elon Musk and um, people investing in like AI. It's like, or yeah, let's say Elon Musk doing Neuralink. It's like, oh, there will be a financial kind of benefit for me if I develop this technology. And yeah, luckily for us, I guess in some cases, if the people are responsible and they think ahead, then the worst kind of outcomes from it will be avoided. But um, yeah, if it's totally up to their whim and everyone just embraces it like the social media right like it's something that's efficient it's something that people get entertainment or enjoyment from and value from but there are still problems and like uh, yeah we need to i guess address them and if we could address them earlier and predict them ahead of time then we could probably have avoided some things so. yeah man um there's a there's one one nugget in the movie that I thought was really funny, uh, which is like came up right at the start, which kind of sets the tone of like this whole being wary of technology theme. And that's like, it's like in one of the first scenes when they're at the archeological dig and uh, the dude's like using the computer with like sonar technology to find the bones. And you can just tell like how disgusted Dr. Grant is with like using a computer because he likes the good old days of like digging stuff up with hammers and brushes and all that. I thought that was a really nice way to set the tone of the whole movie. Definitely. And like, you got to feel for that too, right? Even now, oh, it's yeah. like, if you can go out somewhere, be on your own, like without your phone, without using technology, uh, or like enjoying just a simple moment, right? <laughs> like yeah. sit in the park and just like watch the animals or something and, and nature do its thing, like <laughs> without having your phone out, whether it's, not, whether it's like taking photos or like, ignoring what you're what's out there and doing something else like um yeah there is like i think whether it's nostalgia to a certain degree but also more connectedness to what you're doing yeah yeah what more connectedness to what you're doing and to the natural world i'd say um i know that there's uh for opponents of um or, or people who are opposed to starlink which is like the this network of satellites that's supposed to provide internet to, to people around the world um from their perspective, it's kind of like Starlink infringes on like the last, the last piece of nature that people had access to, which is like out in the wilderness, seeing the, the night sky. And it's like, and you're going to bring these, these trains of satellites to that. So nowhere is sacred anymore. It's like, even if I go out into the wilderness, it's like a thousand miles away from everyone else. I'm still going to see these, these satellites overhead and obstructing my view. And it kind of just shows like how, how, pervasive technology is uh in in the modern day and you can't really can't really get away from it and it's only it's only going to get uh more more intense definitely so yeah again jurassic park quintessential <laughs> sci-fi film right like Holy. so much stuff in it uh like that's crazy yeah and i man I, I i haven't super been a fan of like any of the other jurassic parks that have come after but 
if you haven't seen Jurassic Park and um, you don't mind that we just spoiled the whole thing for you, uh, definitely would recommend watching this movie to anyone out there listening. Oh, for sure. I would too. Um, I, do you want to give ratings to this? Oh, man. Um, yeah, let's do it. What, what kind of rating system are we doing? Let's see. I'm just, I'm happy with like a one or a zero to five kind of rating. Um, I don't know if we need to rate the science separate and then like the movie as a whole or <laughs> let, 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 let's do a blend. Let's just do it all together. Yeah. I mean, do you want me to go first? I'll go first. Uh, I, I, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I gave this just a solid five stars all around. <laughs> like it's a, coming out of the gate strong. I know. <laughs> uh, I could not find like a single fault where I'm like, nah, I don't like this. It was all, <laughs> everything just felt in its like, what's the saying? Uh, a place for everything and like everything in its place. That yeah. was this film. Just <laughs> Yeah. You know what? It, it, it is pretty compelling. I think, um, I think I rated it a four and a half out of five. I'll say four and a half T-Rexes out of five T-Rexes. Cause it's, it's just a solid movie and there's very little to 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 harp on you know i'd say the one qualm is just the samuel l jackson saying hold on to your butts twice it's like no not way a, someone would say that times. twice <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he should have said that every scene yeah oh oh definitely i'm, I, I'm glad well, we watched this dude i'm glad yeah it's a good suggestion so uh yeah i guess thanks for listening everyone and yes yeah tune in next time i don't know what we'll be watching but um, yeah, we'll keep you guys posted. Yeah, I also don't know if this one will ever uh, see the, the light of day, but if it does, keep you in the loop. All right, take care. <laughs> All right, see everyone.